This is the call for freedom. This is the call for your truest, most authentic self to step forward. This is the call to turn inward and face the darkness and the light that lives within. You're listening to the Divinity Unbridled Podcast, and I'm your host, Hannah Rose Childs. My mission is to awaken and inspire your truth from within. I'm bringing you real, unfiltered access to the cosmos and the underworld to the sacred union of the divine feminine and the divine masculine, and to the pathway home to the fullest parts of your soul. Get ready to go deep. Get ready to ignite your internal fire. Get ready to unleash your fullest self. It's time to step into the truth of who you are. I see you, and your soul is beaming. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Divinity Unbridled Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Rose Childs. My guest today invites us all to be more mindful with ourselves as he helps us navigate parenthood through conscious awareness. He is a conscious parenting coach and founder of the Calm and Conscious Dads Group. He works on the Saving Brains Grenada team and has been a contributor on parenting for Elephant Journal. I'm so excited to share all of the beauty and wisdom he brings to us and to celebrate the work he is doing to change the world. Welcome, Drew Tupper. Well, I'm so excited uh, to have you on today. Thank you for jumping in. I know the podcast is new and- um, Yeah, of course. Feels like a really important um, subject to bring into conversation. It is, yeah. I mean, it's it was unknown to me. I mean, one of the questions you put to me in the email, I was like, huh, interesting. Was I conscious? before I had kids or something like that. And, you know, we, we, we can get into this in, in the podcast, but the thing is I never really ever expected kids to open me up like they have, right? Like yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that that was an option for, for like spiritual growth the kids. Um, Surprise. Yeah there, <laughs> yeah. there you go. Well, so then going into that um, first question I asked, um, are you, were you conscious before you had kids or before you got married? Um, yeah. And if not, what did, what did that process look like? Right. Um, I have a friend of mine who once told me that um, marriage is like a spiritual ashram. It's like this, it's this opportunity for growth. And um, you get to look at all your sore spots, all your wounds. You get to see your partner mirror back to you what you put out in the world. And he was right. And he, he still is right. I mean, marriage is the first big smack to the face of like, whoa, if I want to be in a real, loving, long-term relationship, I got some work to do. Mm. <laughs> You just mentioned parenting because um, I, my friend had not told me about parenting. He just told me about the marriage piece. He was left like, a marriage. key component out of <laughs> his formula. <laughs> he was like, marriage is going to kick your ass, basically. But parenting, sorry, parenting is, um, 
it's this whole thing on its own because you've got to come together and think of the best ways that you're going to raise these kids. And it really is like wonderful, weird, wild, challenging, uh, all wrapped into one. And so I would, long story short, I would say probably a little bit, maybe I was a little bit conscious, not very, uh, kids cracked me open to a whole new level. And so what would you say, um, just like in a short description, what does conscious parenting mean to you? Because I think, you know, the word consciousness can mean different things to so many people. And then parenting means, you know, different things. Sure. So for me, conscious means to be acting in accordance with who I am and what I really want to do moment to moment. And specifically parenting and men having trying to have all my interactions with my kids be loving and empowering. Beautiful. And so with that, it seems like, I mean, you're kind of working backwards from what do you really want and and stepping into it from that perspective. But if you're not approaching it from that way, you can step into it from a place of possibly fear or control or other things that come up when we're not, we're not consciously aware in each moment. So what are some things like, for yourself that you've noticed come up in yeah. that way. Exactly. Um, and this happens with most parents that I know because there's no real preparing uh, for parenting. It's something unto itself. It's kids have a way of pushing your hot buttons and getting you triggered or allowing yourself to get triggered. Like, like no, no one else can, no other situation can do this. It's, it's wild. And there are reasons for this. I won't get into them, into them right now, but there are reasons why a lot of parents have a hard time with this. And like me, they see themselves, they can observe themselves acting in ways they don't actually want to be acting. Or at least maybe um, 10 minutes later, an hour later, uh, the next day, you reflect back on your behavior as a parent. And that's not many times the behavior that I was observing was not what I wanted. And um, so that included uh, impatience, anger, aggression, what else? Blame, shaming of my kids. Um, yeah, Those are all pretty action. extreme. I mean, they feel like extreme emotions, but they can come in in very different levels that, you know, it could oh, be, yeah. it could be, you know, shame feels like kind of really hard, but it could be a kind of twisted way that you don't really oh, absolutely. realize. Absolutely. Like, you know, invalidating my, my, my um, child's feeling. If he says, um, I don't like this. And I say, oh, no, no, it's, it's, I mean, it's fine. Just, you know, try it. You, you'll like it. I, it's, you know, you're gonna, um, so <laughs> that's like, completely invalidating uh, to the child. There's many other ways, like you said, you can subtly um, coerce, shame, or blame a child with not even being aware of it. It's, you know, and in fact, unless you've revisited your own conditioning and your own family of origin, um, almost certainly you're going to be on some kind of autopilot that you're not quite aware of. And so this is why this, the self-awareness and the, the observation of oneself becomes all that more important because stuff will just slip out. Right, and you're like, where did that come from? 
Yeah, yeah. And um, things that you thought were normal to say uh, after some investigation and some reflection, you realize that that's not cool. Actually, I wouldn't say that to my wife. I wouldn't say that to a friend. I wouldn't say it to anyone I respected. So why am I saying that to my child? And why am I saying it with that tone of voice? Right. And so there are obviously, you mentioned um, kind of conditioning patterns, and that could be history based, it could be familial based. But then what are some other fears or patterns that you notice that um, that maybe don't yeah. fit in those categories that come up that also contribute to this kind of behavior? Yeah. Well, for sure, the family conditioning does so much. And it's worth having a look at if you're a parent out there or a to be parent and you haven't looked at your own childhood and you haven't done any of that work. Um, I encourage you to, um, uh, and I, I think it'll be well worth it. Um, so my mom always said, you know, her, her in quotes, she doesn't give advice, but if she does, it's yeah. deal with your own shit. So you don't pass it on to your yep. kids. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And we all have it. We all have baggage. We all have shit. We all got our own stuff that we have to take responsibility for. Yeah. And the reason why we have to do that with kids is because um, they are ultimately defenseless and they're developing in the environment that we create. Like if I, if I go dark and get toxic and get nasty on you and you're my spouse, you have some will or some agency to say, hey, listen, I'm not going to take that. Um, in fact, I'm going to leave. I'm going to separate myself from this. This is not cool. You have some maturity. Kids don't really have that. They don't have the option to leave. Yeah, there's no autonomy, they, really. No, not really. I mean, yeah. and, and, and so they're kind of stuck. And so that's, that's a big reason why you should clean up your own stuff is because you're creating the environment in which your kids are developing. And, and your kids literally become the environment in which they're being raised so you know how do you carry yourself how do you speak to your children what's your body language they pick up on all that stuff so um not to beat a dead horse but do <laughs> look at your own childhood uh do that work um and so what are some tools like in the i mean of course being aware is the first yeah the first step but what are some do you have some other tools that um, you know, not yeah. necessarily around, you know, our own childhood stuff, but just in yeah. general, if people are looking to step into yeah. to being more conscious with their kids. Yeah. I feel like I didn't, I didn't answer the, the, the actual question you asked there, the first one. Uh, so we'll get back to this technique one in a second, but the, 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 the question that you actually asked the, the, that I didn't answer was what are some other fears that, uh, parents have that impact their parenting and so yes there's the conditioning and there's um there's that in, that needs to be looked at but also we live in a, a culture now in a society where there's an epidemic of stress and anxiety mm -hmm. people are are at um highly elevated levels of stress and when when we live in that place we're riding so close to this edge of blowing up or getting triggered um, that 
given the right opportunity uh, or the right kind of poking and prodding, we can we can explode and 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 lose our shit on the people least deserving of it. So the general sense of anxiety and tension and stress that's going around right now in North America, at least, is something to look at too. And I didn't think I was anxious or stressed out. I thought I was a pretty relaxed guy, right? I, I even, you know, that's the view I had of myself. You know, I'm Drew, I'm easy going, go with the flow. Um, and it turns out I wasn't. <laughs> I just, I just, like I had this image of myself that wasn't true. I was anxious. And that, that anxiety definitely impacted my parenting. Um, and that resulted probably in overreacting in certain situations, um, being worried, too worried, uh, probably, um, I think, helicopter parenting, snowplow parenting. What's also, snowplow parenting? Snowplow parenting is when you clear the way for your kids. Oh, okay. Um, but I was all over the place. I would do that, like over support. But then the next day I would um, over challenge and I would over compensate for having over supported. And so I would be too harsh. And so um, it's, it's not one or the other. You're not necessarily a, a helicopter parent or a harsh parent. You can be both, right? right? You can be both in the same day. So just, just let people know that. And so I can speak to a technique that I've used that's helped me with my general anxiety and the conditioning that I've, that I've brought into my parenting from my own um, childhood. So awareness is big, like you mentioned, being able to observe yourself, but also to feel yourself dropping into your body having a regular practice of dropping into one's own body is huge. Um, because I believe a lot of us are living neck up. Neck up. Can you describe what that dropping into your body feels like? Because I personally have yeah. a very distinct sensation when I know that I'm yeah. dropped in. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and, and I just want to say one of the reasons or a couple of the reasons why I like to do that and I like to teach that is because I think there's an anxiety associated with being disconnected from one's own self. Right. And, and once you start getting familiar with who you are and comfortable with who you are and being able to name your emotions, there's some kind of comfort or um, safety that, that comes with that you know, be, being more familiar with who you are and how you work. Just that uh, gave me a sense of comp competence and confidence and even self-mastery. Um, and this other reason I'm mentioning is not being connected to myself um, made me feel disoriented. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what was coming. You know, I, my emotions could come out of the blue. And I didn't like that, especially when dealing with kids. And I've mentioned it's a high stakes game, but 
you know, raising these little children who are developing. And so there's not really the room to just lose it and blow up without knowing why or when you're going to do that. Yeah. So the technique that I've used to get into my body and to feel my feelings is, um, you know, fairly quick, a guided meditation. Um, I first learned it as that and I do it on my own now, but I mean, I could either explain it to you or take you through it. Either one. Why don't you take us through it? Okay. Yeah. I think that's, that's great. Yeah. It's, it's not very scary. It's fairly simple, but um, in my experience, the effect is definitely worth the five minutes. So I'll invite you and your listeners to close your eyes. And I'm going to close my eyes too, because I like doing this. I do this, I do this with my clients whenever I get a chance to do it. So for me, with my eyes closed, I instinctively start tuning into my body right away. And so that's something to notice right away is this effect of being intentional and taking the time and creating the space to do this and just closing my eyes has me noticing things like my breath. I'm just starting to tune into sensations in my body because I've done this before and this is where I'm going with it, but also just because the closing of the eyes and noticing my breathing has that effect on me, has that effect of just, oh, this is my body. Here it is. Wonderful. So from here, where I usually start the meditation is um, with the feet. What I do is I bring my awareness to my feet and I feel, I feel my feet, I notice them. Maybe I wiggle my toes or move them around, get them into a comfortable position, a neutral, comfortable position. And I notice the bottoms of my feet connecting with the ground. And I also notice the ground coming up to push against my feet. So yeah, I'm noticing that connection between feet and ground. And I'm just letting myself breathe right now into my feeling of groundedness. And while I'm doing this, I'm letting whatever feelings, whatever sensations that want to come up, I'm, I'm letting them, I'm letting them come up. For me, I'm feeling a bit, um, I'm feeling a bit tired. 
I'm acknowledging that. Feeling calm. <clears throat> so I move up from my feet now to my knees. I pause there a bit and just check out how my legs are doing. Notice my legs. Notice how my legs are connecting my feet to my knees. And then from my knees, I take my awareness to my, my, my hips and my pelvis. And similar to my feet, my, my pelvis is resting on the chair and it's resting down while the chair is coming up to support me. And there's a connection there and I'm noticing that connection. Up from my pelvis, I have my stomach, which is soft and sitting on top of my pelvis supported there. I put a hand on my stomach. And I breathe into that. Sending the breath all the way down into my stomach. From there, I put my other hand on my chest right above my heart, or I should say right on top of my heart. And I'm feeling myself breathe. My hands feel warm and supportive to me. And I'm just taking a few more breaths right now. and asking my body if there's anything that it wants me to know. Do any of those sensations or feelings mean something for me right now? And as I come to the end of the meditation, I'm going to send some, some love and appreciation and gratitude to my body. And for all that it does for me and how it supports me. And being grateful that I can connect to my body like this. I invite you to take um, some long, slow breaths right now. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes and come back. Beautiful. Thank you. Such a different sensation mm. being, I mean, I'm using my hands, but 
you know, right. neck up versus really mm -hmm. dropping in. There's a mm, slowness that I feel when I'm moving from that place as opposed to the spiral that is the mind. Right. I agree. And I have, I have, I have the same experience when I do that. I actually do something similar um, like every couple hours when I'm working because I can get so like focused of just go, go, go and just stopping and remembering and coming back in yep. to that core place. Yes, lovely. I'm, I'm glad that you do that. That's so I'm not sure how long that took, but um, if it was five or six or seven minutes, I don't know. But there are people and parents who are so busy, they feel they don't have the time to do that. Right. So that's okay. And doing something like you suggest, even if it's for one or two minutes throughout the day, and even if you only do it three times, it's worth its weight in gold to just slow down and to check in. Yeah. Um, and why I find this so useful in parenting, I even feel like I'm speaking differently now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're like in a totally Zen state now. Like <laughs> right. Um, the reason why I love this with parenting is because um, of the triggers, because of the, the hot buttons that can easily be pushed. This has a way of grounding me letting me check in with myself, but also slowing me down. And it slows down my reactions. So that you can respond. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of parents I've, I've spoken to who say, I don't want to react like that. That's not what I want. So this allows you, if you practice it, to learn how to create space and to get familiar with what that feels like. Would you say, so you practice this, you know, regularly and then in those moments when those mm -hmm. fears or that reactive state comes up, do you find yourself doing this exercise in that moment or do you do something else because you already feel somewhat more spacious? No, I mean, it depends where I was on my journey. Uh, I did everything and anything that I could. Once I realized that I was harming my children and not creating uh, a healthy environment, I did everything and anything I could in those moments to not react and not get harsh and not get aggressive. So I would leave the room. I would do breathing um, in my bedroom in that moment. I would ask for help. I'd say, listen to my wife, I can't handle this right now. I need some help. Um, so I would do whatever it took. Once I realized that this wasn't cool, the way that I was acting wasn't cool. Not the aggressiveness, not the yelling, uh, not the blaming, not the shaming. None of it was cool. A um, little bit hard to take realizing that I had engaged in those things. But yeah, and like we said before, there's so many levels of, the, of that. Yeah. App. You know, it doesn't have to be just the full out extreme version of those things yep. either. It doesn't at all. And like, and where I'm at now, um, I've gotten to the point of where I've created enough calm 
uh, and consciousness in my life that if my emotions get heightened in a certain situation uh, with my children, I'm pretty skilled at bringing myself down in that moment right. and being able, and even being able to respond in that moment. Um, but that was due to, that was as a result of a lot of practice. Right. Well, so we've talked a lot about the, you know, taking the responsibility for our own selves, our history and our ability to respond, yeah. you know, in, in the moment or outside of the moment. Can we shift it to the actual interactions with children? Because um, yeah. I remember you posted, and I actually, I would love to link this in um, the show notes. You posted a video of a toddler throwing mm. a tantrum. Yeah. And um, I, I, as I told you, I don't have children yet, but it, mm. it really moved me because the dad in the video, he sat with his legs crossed and he sort of held almost this physical container with his hands without actually touching the child mm -hmm. and it was I mean it was a relatively long mm -hmm. video of this child throwing a tantrum and watching the way that that the child responded to the support and mm -hmm. this safe container that the dad was yeah. creating without squashing the feelings right. Right. was really powerful so could you just describe what exactly that yeah, was because I haven't seen something quite like that before yeah um that was that's beautiful what that video is beautiful and i would love for you to to link to that or post that um and i've done something similar to that once i figured out how to and why you would even do that in the first place so like you said that there's a toddler uh who's you know dysregulated he's upset he's crying flailing his, his arms a bit and what you call a tantrum is why you know widely known as a tantrum um and the dad holds space for the child in a way like you mentioned he, he doesn't put his hands on the child in any way to force the child to stop what he's doing he lets the child go through the, the process go through his emotions and he's not verbally in the child's face either. He's just there for the child. And this is a hard thing to do because of the effect of the tantrum on the, on the adult's nervous system. If you haven't done, you know, any work on the, on the family of origin or, you know, reconditioning yourself or work on your nervous system uh the cries and screams of a child mm -hmm. can really really get to you there's a lot of people i know who just cannot handle it it's like worse than nails on a blackboard it's really really disturbing and upsetting for the adult and there are reasons for this and quickly it can take it in essence, it can take us back to our own childhood where we felt similar feelings and out of control and didn't know what to do with it. And then we weren't helped. We were shamed or blamed or, or hit or spanked. And so it can take us back to that place as the adult. And it's really, really hard to do what this guy did. 
So I just wanted to, I wanted to speak that out loud because I can totally understand uh, parents who get triggered by the cries and screams of a child. If we realize that what the child needs is love, safety, and support in that moment, and that no amount of coercing, forcing, invalidating, uh, distracting even, ignoring is really gonna help. It's just giving the child your presence, your full, safe and loving presence. And this is hard because kids can come at you and they can, they can even hit you. And that's a whole different ball of wax. I mean, I would get hugely triggered when my child hit me. And so this took a lot of work for me uh, and a lot of awareness, a lot of coming back into my body, a lot of healing, feeling my emotions and working through things. So it can be really hard because in one moment of the tantrum, the, the child may want to hug you and may want to sit in your lap. And the next moment, they may be scratching you and hitting you. And so to stay centered and to know that this is not about you and the, the, the behavior that's being demonstrated right now is the child's way of showing you because the child doesn't have the capacity to say, you know what, dad, I've, I've got this feeling inside of me and it feels really bad and I don't know what to do. There's no capacity there for the one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old. And unless the five-year-old's been taught that or the six-year-old, there's no capacity there either. Right. So recognizing that this behavior is a form of communication and that um, we need not be threatened by that. Yeah, we don't have to try to take control of them to make them stop. Right, to make us feel okay. Right. Which is hmm. what most parenting, reactive parenting looks like. You're doing something that I don't like right now. It's not making me feel good or I'm allowing it to make me feel off-centered. I want it to stop. And because I'm your, I'm your parent and I'm the adult and I have more power than you, I'm going to figure out a way to stop that. Maybe it's going to be yelling at you. Maybe it's going to be threatening you with uh, something, uh, you know, a toy. I'll take it away. Um, maybe it'll be spanking. That's the basic recipe for reactive parenting. Or something that sounds positive, probably, I would imagine. Like you take, make it a positive spin. I'll give you a, right. if a you treat. Gotta, or, yeah. If you stop crying, here, come here, come here. You know, uh, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. Here, I'll, I'll, uh, here's, a, here's a cookie. And, um, or, you know, here, watch, watch this TV show. Right. Here's the iPad. Here, shh, 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 shh. And, um, that's not what kids need. What they need is someone to be making eye contact with them, holding space for them, letting them know that whatever they're feeling is okay, and you're gonna be there with, for them. And you're gonna hold yourself centered and present and calm and loving so that you can hold your child. And that is, woo, that's miraculous, man. When you can get to that level, you, well, when I did, I felt like a Jedi. I felt like, <laughs> man, I felt like, what is this? Because as you saw in the video, 
what eventually happens is the feeling in the child passes. It passes. They, they, they work it through. They, you know, and in the end of that video, I think the child gave the dad a really big hug. Yeah, I think he was just like dangling in his, yeah, yeah. on his shoulders, just like a puddle. Yeah, I mean, it's melted, very sweet. Melted into him. Yeah. yeah. And what a wonderful message to send to our kids as, as they grow up and develop. You know, um, your feelings are okay to experience. I'm going to be here for you while you experience them. And, and the lived experience of the child as he grows up in this environment, learning that he doesn't have to run away from his feelings. He, he doesn't have to feel bad for his feelings. He doesn't have to feel bad for feeling sad, which a lot of us do. Yeah. And it's a normal, fine and healthy emotion. Sadness helps us. It points to something. It's like, um, it's like a, a, a compass to follow. There's, there's, there's a reason why we're sad and that's okay. And, and accepting it and acknowledging it is, uh, if we can give our kids that gift, then wow. I mean, as they grow up and they leave our homes, how much healthier are they going to be than um, the person who can't feel his feelings, who's who's numbed out, who's in pain, but feels he shouldn't be in pain, and then distracts or deflects with other things to try and stop him from having a human experience. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably life, it's life changing. I mean, for, for the child and for the parent. Right. The, the major take home message message in that kind of interaction is there's nothing wrong with you. You are okay the way that you are. Right. What a wonderful message. Like to instill in your child from oh, wow. <laughs> it's beautiful. So many of us have been for like 20, 30, 40 years have been looking to find what's wrong with us. And that, how do we feeling, fix ourselves? Yeah, feeling like not enough. And um it's a big fat lie. It's not real. Like we, <laughs> you aren't good enough. You are enough. There is nothing wrong with you. You are allowed to be you and feel what you feel. Yeah. And so I did ask, um, I put out a, a thing to the listeners just to see if anyone had questions. And one of them related to this, which was uh, alternatives to timeouts. And I think mm. we, we covered that a little bit. But I, it also seems like there might be some moments where people may not have yet the skills to sit in that capacity. Yeah. And so as you're developing, what are some, some things that we can do to, so we don't throw our kids in timeout, which is essentially invalidating yeah. and ignoring. Um, isolating. Yeah. yeah. Or in quotes, like disciplining them so that. It is. It's um, punishment. Usually. So how, Right. So how, like, what are some other things we can do that aren't punishment that also leads to some sort of supportive nurturing outcome? Well, I fully am on board with parents doing what they need to do so that they show up in the best way for their kids at home. Um, and I've just mentioned how I took breaks. I gave myself the timeout, but it was like a loving timeout, right? It was like, um, 
it, it wasn't, I wasn't trying to isolate myself or punish myself. I was actually trying to uh, catch my breath and, and calm down and, and regroup. And if that's the kind of time out you're giving your kid, that I, I see that as totally different from you go sit over there in the stairs and you think about what you did and don't you come back here until you have uh, an apology for me about what you did and, you know, however, however the, that goes. Right. Um, that's an attempt to teach someone to do the right thing by telling them that they were wrong. And uh, to uh, modify their behavior with some kind of external conditioning. You know, maybe if he gets enough time out and he feels bad enough and he's isolated enough from fun family activities, maybe then he'll behave at the dinner table. And that could work. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, that kind of punishment, if it's consistent enough um, and severe enough and it, it, it uh, motivates the child, um, then it will work, so to speak. You'll be able to condition a behavior. But it's more satisfying the discomfort that's within the parent rather than... Sure, sure, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean... Than actually we, working through what's, what's currently happening or what's yeah. actually going on inside the child. There could be two reasons why we punish. One is to feel like we have power because so many of the things in parenting are humbling and we feel out of control, overwhelmed, and we, like, we don't have power. So punishing is a way of being like, I'm in control here. You better listen to me. I'm going to have this little rush of a power trip and it kind of feels good. And I'm not going to lie about it because it did feel good in a weird way. Um, <laughs> but you got to be careful with that one, right? That, that quick rush of um, lustful aggression is not really what we're after in parenting. So Parents might go to the punishment to feel that power and to feel that control, but also in an attempt to teach their kid. And like I said, you can condition a kid. If you have some punishment that's consistent enough, severe enough, the kid will learn, just like dogs and rats will learn. Um, but the kind of parenting that I'm after is that more conscious parenting where we facilitate understanding and learning within the child. Now, it doesn't mean we have to tolerate every one of their behaviors. We can be assertive and we can say, no, no, thank you. I don't like that. We can, you know, and I have walked away before. And I've created space between myself and my kid because A, I didn't like the behavior and B, I didn't want to react. But what I've found to be more effective is helping the child in that moment with their behavior. First of all, bringing them down from a, a, a heightened state because there's no teaching when people are in fight or flight or, right. or highly emotional. Have you ever have you ever had a have you ever had a try tried to have a, a discussion with a, a partner and try to problem solve and you're both highly emotional? And it's useless. Useless. <laughs> Oh, in fact, it's almost destructive, I think. It's, yes. It's, it's worse than neutral. Yeah, no, it's far worse than neutral. Because in that brain, we feel threatened. And when we, we feel threatened, we take jabs. We're defensive, um, overprotective, we're untrusting, right? It's just, it's a, it's a gong show. And that's the same thing with kids. And so there's no teaching that should be done in that state. And so if your kid 
is exerting, uh, exhibiting some behavior that's, you know, uh, you don't, you don't like it or it's not appropriate or whatever you deem it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, even unsafe, making the environment safe to the extent that the behavior doesn't continue, especially if it's unsafe is one thing to do, but uh, trying to engage in some kind of constructive dialogue in that moment is not good. So what I do is I help my child, um, I help them regulate. And that can look like listening to them, he hearing, hearing somebody, how do you feel if you're kind of worked up and you have a good friend who's able to listen to you and hold space for you and see you? How long does it take before you feel, oh, thank you? It's almost instant. Same thing with kids. Mm -hmm. So a kid gets worked up, he's doing some weirdo behavior, something that's not cool. <laughs> and then you, if the, if the child's old enough, uh, you can engage in some kind of conversation, nothing too, uh, too cerebral, but hey, it looks like you're sad. Looks, looks like you don't feel so good right now. Are you okay? And if they're able to talk it out, they can. Maybe, maybe it'll take 10 or 15 minutes for them, for them to come down a bit. But, um, and in, I've helped kids come down by breathing, you know, uh, breathing exercises. But sometimes it requires like doing nothing. And that is the weirdest feeling as a parent because you feel like you've got to do something. I need to do something here. Well, it's like the rush, going back to that rushing. Yeah. Like you need to make an immediate yeah. shift. I'm not a good parent if I don't do anything. If I let my kid, you know, um, keep yelling. I'm, I'm not an acceptable parent. I mean, you get into the self-judgment. Um, but I have found way more success in approaching like an unregulated, dysregulated kid with calm and presence and the ability to hold space for him and, and to let him go through what he needs to go through and helping him regulate by breathing, by modeling the regulations. Even my voice is getting calm now and kind of smooth like a, like a late night DJ, right? It's just, <laughs> it's, I model the calm that I want to see. And then at a, at a certain time, when everyone has their thinking brains back, then we can talk about um, what happened. We can talk about what, need, what can happen next time. We can talk about the impact. Um, and then I, in, in those kind of conversations that are had at a neutral time, far more effective, far more effective than trying to have it in, 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 it, in, it, in that heightened moment it becomes a power struggle. It becomes an argument. So I decided to stop wasting my time and wait for that neutral time, help my, help my child relax and regulate. And then I appeal to, and I've done this since my kids were two, I appeal to their internal compass. I start helping them help themselves. How did you feel? What was going on for you? Okay, I get it. That makes sense to me, I understand. Yeah, you were frustrated. Okay, right. Um, create that validation and that safety. And then there's the opportunity for like, what, what do you think? What could we do next time? 
And almost always when we appeal to the better nature of children and humans in a calm, neutral moment where they feel loved, seen, and supported, almost always, actually I've never seen it any other way, um, that person or that child rises to the challenge and gives you the answer from themselves that is like perfect. That's like, yeah, that sounds great. So do you, do you need any help with that? Do you need support with that? And they'll tell you if they do. And it's like, it's crazy. It's wild to see a two or three-year-old have that conversation and then the next time implement the solution that they came to on their own with you. Right. It's wow. wild. Because we don't think of kids like this. We don't think about them. We think about we have to control them and train them and we have to be responsible for corralling them. And when you turn the keys over to the child and you, from like, I'm telling you, from, from two years old, I did this with my kids. You obviously age appropriately. You appeal to their better half, their better self, their, the good side. You, and you remind them that they're good. Hey, you know, they, they, choose, they choose the good path every time. It's lovely. And so, so I don't, do you, I don't, go ahead. Well, so I was going to say, so how do you uh, take that and implement it into not so much in the, we were talking about in quotes, punishment or what to do with these sort of negative behaviors that come up, but approaching your parenting in a way that is empowering and uh, gives, yeah. gives a child the, some, some freedom and some flexibility to make yeah. choices and make mistakes and, yep. you know, that other side of it. This is part of it, actually. This is part of empowerment because they get to, they get to collaborate with you and create solutions for things. So this is a, a way of empowering kids. And I'm not saying that it works out every time or that it's a magic bullet and, it, and, and things are fixed forever. Kids, just like adults, hmm. will, will, will make mistakes and fail and mess up. But those, I see those as opportunities. Yeah to regroup and reflect and to, first of all, allow for the mistake, allow for it. We're human. How nice is that? Yeah. Right. It's wonderful. Like once you let yourself off the hook for being human, it's like, okay, well I can forgive myself for that mistake and um, I can plan to do better next time. I can, I can try something else out. Uh, so that's, that's a big part of the empowerment is um, collaborating, creating solutions, and then allowing for failure, allowing for mistakes, having that growth mindset, and allowing your child even to come up with a plan that you wouldn't come up with yourself. And you might disagree with it. But and let's say it is a, it is a flawed plan and it doesn't work. Um, and your child learns firsthand when they have that failure that it didn't work. But you, but you hadn't, there's no I told you so. There's just this lovely present. It's almost like the same container that you yep. have if they're throwing it, what we, you know, yes. in quotes, a tantrum. Yeah. So it didn't work out for you. And so imagine, I heard this quote somewhere, like, 
um, about, about failing, failing early and often. Mm -hmm. So now imagine a child who doesn't have any hangups around failing because you've allowed him to fail early and often you've encouraged it. You're like, take the risk, go for it. Yeah. Let's see if your plan works. And then he or she fails and regroups and reflects, try something new. And it's not a big deal. It's just not a big deal. And you're encouraging that child to, you know, try again. What happens to that child when he becomes 18, 25 and 30? He's not paralyzed or, or stifled by the thought of his own mistakes. He's like, this is a part of life. This is a part of living. This is a part of being human. So I love the idea of making mistakes. I love the idea of failing and failing in a, in a curious, open-hearted, you know, judge-free kind of way. And, and empowerment is big. Empowerment beyond that, for me, uh, has, as my kids uh, um, become older, it has them taking on more and more responsibility for their lives, um, the house, and, uh, and becoming, becoming more and more independent and making their own decisions as they become older and older and older. And it's like my 10 year old now, he's really getting to know himself and to, and to be confident in himself and his own decisions. It's lovely to see. Now, again, if we don't allow for our kids to have these experiences of making their own decisions and following their own uh, interests uh, and taking responsibility for themselves, what are we left with when that child leaves the home? You know, I've met a couple people when I was in university who were just like, I don't know what to do. Right. I don't know how to cook. I don't, I don't know about budgeting. I don't, I just don't know. And the, those parents did not prepare that child. They didn't empower that child right. to, to take responsibility and to make decisions. It's, well, uh, that inner self-confidence, I mean, it takes us through our whole lives. And then I, it also impacts the way we relate to others, especially, I think, as, as women. Yes. You know, if we're confident within ourselves, we don't feel that need to compete or to tear down other Yep. children or adults you know it carries yes. into our adult lives it's you yeah. actually the self-confidence i think builds compassion and empathy for not just ourselves but for other people mm. i love it when my little daughter is stands up to me and calls me out mm. it's one of my favorite things i'm like yeah <laughs> and i just had this feeling this this feels right this feels really right you know like she's not meek and she's not scared and she's not shameful. And I love it. And I think that's because my wife and I have allowed them to stand up to us. Right. You're not the power, you're not in control of them. It's you are well, their yeah. parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And their parents, we create safety, but it's it's definitely not this huge top-down authoritarian vibe. Um, definitely more empowering, um, I would say. And it's hard sometimes to have a little child call you out or um, to get angry with you. 
and to take it mm. and to hear them because so, it could be so easy. I have, a, I have a really big voice. I can get really loud. I can get really scary. I could if I wanted. Uh, and I used to. I could shut somebody down. I could, sh I could shut down a six-year-old girl if I wanted to. Like, I could. That's <laughs> not, but it's, it, it's like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And if I allow her to stand up to me, she's going she's gonna to learn how to stand up to people, to authority, to men, to assert herself and advocate for herself in her life. And it's like that you, you can't not do that at home and then expect somehow that when your daughter becomes 18 and she leaves the house, then she's going to be able to do it. You, you have to do it at home. And yeah, guess, in that safe container that it is, yeah, yeah. everything's okay. And it's why that's so hard is because um, it usually happens when the kids start being around two years old, they're having, you know, uh, tantrums and um, you, you're not sleeping very well. Uh, money is tight. Um, work is stressful. And your, your little girl or little boy wants to stand up to you and tell you what they think. And they want to, they want to assert themselves and they want, it, it's, it, it, oh, it can be hard. It can be hard to just be in that moment and, and work through that with a child and to, and to let them be assertive. It's like, there's this thing, there's this conditioning inside of me that just wants to squash that. Right. And be like, no, no. I'm the boss here. I'm you don't know what it. I have to deal with. You don't know. Yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, you know, you're mad that you didn't get the pink plate. Well, I got a mortgage and I got a car payment and I got to buy all it, it. You could go that, you could go down that road. But in doing that, you have to realize that you, you won't be preparing your children for the life that you actually want to give them. Mm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, it, so much of it goes back to self-reflection and regulation. And most of the work you do is with men, with dads. Yeah. Right? Or do mm -hmm. you, you do work with? I do work with moms. Okay. Um, I, I do work with moms, but more, more dads have found me. So, um, but this problem of, you know, being stressed and being reactive isn't limited to dads. I would no, say it no. might be more, more prevalent there. And certainly the aggression is more prevalent mm -hmm. uh, with dads. And uh, so I've helped a lot of guys with that side of it, but the reactive, impatient, uh, that, that spans a spectrum. And so what do you see? Um, I mean, I am part of women's circles and I think there's a lot of like mommy and me groups and these, yep. um, these things that are supportive for moms with kids. And mm. so you have a, you do like dad groups. Yeah. Is that right? So what are some of the, yeah. the benefits you see of men being together with other men, not with their partner in mm. a, in a container for them yep. to support their parents. Yeah. Well, just like I imagine it is with women, it, there's something about gathering with men that's hugely supportive. And for, and for men, it's like, it's a bit of a paradigm shift. It's a bit of a shocker. You're like, wow, guys can be like this. 
guys can be supportive and uh, encouraging and non-judgmental. It feels, it, it feels a little bit, when you first start doing it, it feels a little bit awkward as a man. Because a lot of us didn't have this, this um, that kind of support. But men's circles, whether it's dad's circles or, you know, men working on their relationships, I have found so supportive and so essential to my, my growth. And um, there's something about it being just men. Maybe it's the familiarity, maybe it's a shared history, the shared challenges. Um, I don't know what, but there's something there, some kind of dynamic there that feels really safe and really supportive. And I encourage any guys listening to this to, well, I have a, a Facebook group that's called um, Calm and Conscious Dads. So Great, we'll link that, that in, the, yeah. in the show notes. Look into that. Um, I shared, um, I think it was a couple months ago, you and Ernest did a yeah. like a mastermind. Yeah. Is that right? So I shared that with a couple men yeah. that I know because I was just like, this is really yeah. cool and it's not something that I see. Yeah. That was to support men in their, in their primary relationship. And um, that was wonderful. It was a wonderful experience. And um, everybody got a lot out of it, including Ernest and I. It was lovely. Um, so about da- with dads and why men's circles and getting support from men is, is important um, is because, for me, I'll speak to personal experience here, is that we don't often do it. And so there's this feeling or this... Uh, conditioning of I got to do it on my own Uh, I don't need help I can do it on my own asking for help or or support is weak and so I got to somehow do this on my own I got to figure it out I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine chatting with men is weird it's it's too touchy-feely those guys are weak this is not for me and so for me and other guys what ends up happening is you don't have an outlet for your natural human emotions. You don't get to cross-reference and check in and to get support. And so what happens is oftentimes either a guy completely shuts down, uh, which isn't great for parenting or relationships, (laughs) or he leans on his wife entirely for everything. And I'm telling you, everything like all his work stress all the family stress um his extended family maybe even he's even annoyed at his his, uh, favorite sports team and he wants to tell his wife about that all his processing all his emotions get dumped on his wife or or he bottles them up and once in a while lashes out on the kids because there's no, there's no pressure release valve. So this is not skillful. Mm-mm. Neither of those things are skillful. And so if, you, if you're a guy and you're listening to this, um, you may want to reevaluate your idea of these, these weak men getting together. I actually think it's quite strong to be vulnerable. It requires a lot of strength. And uh, I've totally redefined my image of what a strong man is. And it's certainly not someone that runs away from his feelings or. Um, I can't share them. That's not it. And so back to the idea of dumping it all on your wife or your partner. It's too much. It's too much for her to take. 
there's a chance that it could slide into the into the arena or area of her feeling like she's taking care of you or mothering you and that's not cool that's not sexy that's an area that no woman wants to no feel with her partner (laughs) no it's a relationship killer so having a group of men to support you or a coach like me to support you uh, allows you to work through a lot of things away from the home. And it's not that you can't talk to your wife. It's just that you don't drop the verbal diarrhea bomb on her and, and walk away. You know, it's like you come to the relationship a bit more resourced. You come to the relationship and the family a bit more skillful in your communication, right? Well, that's sexy. I mean, that's, that's like- sexy. <laughs> it as is. The, as the opposite partner, it's like, oh yeah, okay. What do you, what do you have to tell me then? Right. Uh, back right. off, I can't take this. Right. Yeah, and then, so we kind of shoot, our, shoot ourselves in the foot as men by not having supportive male relationships and then leaning on the family and or blowing up on the family. It's kind of a a lose-lose. Yeah. Well, we covered a lot of ground. (laughs) Um, One thing I would love to just chat about quickly, because I think it's super beautiful. And I told you this when I reached out to you and I didn't realize it at the time, but I talked about the work you're doing in the first episode of this podcast. Um, Okay. uh, The work you're doing in Grenada. I commented that I had seen this video on Facebook that the kids walk in in the morning and are greeted by the teacher with a chart sort of on the wall and they get to tap to what type of greeting they want. Um, So I talked about that, but I would just love to hear what you're doing in in Grenada and how how you got into that. I am a coach for conscious discipline. It's a social emotional program that is used at home and in schools. And in a nutshell, the main thing that it focuses on is creating safety and connection between adults, caregivers, teachers, and kids. And so creating an environment of safety and connection so that kids can learn. And when those two things are present, you could even imagine in your own life when you've learned the best, when you've, when you've been inspired or motivated to learn something or to, or to express yourself or be creative. It's generally in a space that's been, that's felt safe and you felt connection. And there's a lot more to conscious discipline But what we're doing is we're going into schools and I'm coaching and my team is coaching teachers on how to implement conscious discipline in their classrooms here in Grenada. Beautiful. Yeah. And it's lovely. I mean, this is how, this is how we change the world. This is how I'm trying to change the world for the better is by working with parents and teachers so that they show up in the best possible way for the kids. Because that time, that childhood time is so important. Yeah. 
for development of the individual. And it really, for me, is imperative that we pay attention to that because that is our future. A healthy, well-adjusted child grows into a healthy, well-adjusted adult. A and loving, then raise yeah. healthy, yeah. well-adjusted children. Yeah. Then it keeps going, then it keeps going. Um, that's the idea, that's, that's, the, that's the mission. I love it. Well, we unpacked a lot and this is obviously something that you don't just hear and then implement immediately. There's work that goes into making some of these adjustments in our lives. So where can people yeah. find right. you and connect with you if they want to um, right. work with you or join some of your programs? Great, thank you. Um, so my name is Drew Tupper and I've got a website, drewtupper.com. Uh, that has my information on there and my various groups. And it also has information about my coaching, my one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, I'm running a, a parenting, a calm and conscious parenting course coming up this Sunday. I have room for one or two more spots in that. Um, and I, I do that uh, two or three times a year. And that's accessible and affordable uh, to parents. And if it isn't, I make it accessible and affordable. I have a Facebook dads group called Calm and Conscious Dads. And uh, you can connect with me on my own personal page as well on Facebook, Drew Tupper on Facebook. Great. Well, thank you so much. I, I'm excited to, I don't typically listen to these over and over, but I, I feel like this one's going to be definitely one to, to revisit. Especially when you become a parent. You can just yeah, I'll be like, what was I doing again? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm getting triggered right now. I'm, I'm, feel, I'm feeling very triggered. What should I do now? I'm going to put Drew back on. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me. It's an honor and I'm really excited to share this with our listeners. Thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing you. and uh, the word that you're spreading. Thank you. About conscious living. I love that. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Divinity Unbridled. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to be inspired through writing, speaking, and art, please follow me at Divinity Unbridled on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok and subscribe to my newsletter at divinityunbridled.com. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.